Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts, souls, and minds. Hey, welcome back to the Soul Grit Podcast. This is Anne. I want to come on here before I introduce our guest because I want to make sure that I give you a little bit of a trigger warning for this episode. This is the first for the Soul Grit Podcast. I haven't done any trigger warnings before, but I did want to let you know that we are going to be talking briefly about suicide. And if suicide is something that is too sensitive for you right now, I'd encourage you to skip this episode and um, find another episode to listen to. I also want to say the other first here is that we have our first male guest. And so I'm going to now flip over and introduce you to Joe. All right. I want to welcome everyone back to the Soul Grit Podcast. Thank you for being here today. One of the goals of the Soul Grit Podcast is to actually talk to people who have real stories about mental health and also who have real faith in Jesus Christ. So today we have the privilege of hearing from someone who has walked both of those roads and continues to walk that road. This is Joe Day, and he is a fellow podcaster. He is the host of the podcast, Buddy Walk with Jesus. And I had a friend that I was telling about you coming on the podcast today, Joe, and she said, well, what's that podcast about? And I said, well, it's about walking with Jesus, right? And, and I know you have a friend and mentor that comes alongside you and you guys just talk through some of the real life issues of applying scripture to your life and really having a, a lifelong friendship with Jesus. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? I, I don't know much about you other than that. So go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us what you do and who you are. Yeah. So uh, like you said, my name is uh, Joe Day and appreciate you having me on. I have been a Christian for about four years now, give or take, was when I had my uh, my come to Jesus moment. I grew up in the church, um, but walked away and realized that the whole time I didn't really have an actual relationship with God. Um, and so came to came to God very sick. Um, he saw me through that and it kind of left this question. What now? Okay. I've survived. I have, I now have this relationship. What's next. And that sent me down this road of exploring what the Bible means when it talks about the kingdom of God mm -hmm. and how that translates into an immersive, like you said, an immersive every single day, authentic relationship with God, that it goes beyond just one day a week. It goes beyond a checklist or moralism or anything like that um, and goes into uh, the everyday with God. And so that's been uh, um, a big pursuit of mine for the last uh for the last several years yeah and then a lot of my time is spent doing different broadcasting efforts uh just started getting into um live broadcasting as well as the shows great 
Well, it's good to have you here and I'm eager for you to share your story. So I know God has walked with you through these last few years and, and he was there. As you look back in hindsight, you know, he was there along the way, but can you tell us a little bit about your experience with mental health issues and if you'd like to share your diagnosis and what that looked like? Yeah. So I have some pretty early memories of being hyper aware that one day our lives come to an end. Hmm. And I remember that being a very significant point of anxiety for me. About how were you when you realized? So some of my, some of my earliest will date back to like first grade. Okay. Six, seven age. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Growing up, it was it was difficult, right? Because you can see, I can see now in hindsight, the genetic markers for everything, but a family that wasn't okay with with getting getting diagnosed. And um, I have I have bipolar, and I was diagnosed at uh, eighteen. I finally went, and I knew that there was that that things were erratic, and I could see that. And for me, it was especially it was especially important to get some answers because of being coming from a from an abusive home mm-hmm. and seeing what all of that looked like in one parent unchecked and then another parent unchecked who he ended up killing himself. Oh. So so this is this was all things that that, you know, were were so evident, but nobody wanted to nobody wanted to talk about. So I went by myself to go see my go see my doctor. At this at this point, I was like I said, eighteen. So it's not like I was going to a, a pediatrician or anything like that. I was going to a to a real doctor, uh, uh, an adult doctor, and I just started step by step walking walking through the through the process. And he sent me to go talk to somebody, and it was that was when I my girlfriend at the time who through years and preponderance of backstory later, uh, we're married okay. now. So she was the only one that knew at the time that I, uh, my family actually just found out within the last couple of years okay. that I had been diagnosed. Okay. So, and how old were you when your dad died? 13. 13. Okay. Yeah. So you were going through your teenage years, knowing that there was something wrong, your family wasn't really addressing it. And so you took it upon yourself. What sort of things were you noticing about yourself at age 18 that said, I got to get in to see somebody? Oh, I hated the world. I was angry at everything. I, and, and there's a, there's a lot to that one. Like that, that one was something that, that God had to supernaturally come in and say, okay, you don't need to be angry anymore. All Mm -hmm. of those kinds of things. So, but, but I would go from angry to anxious, to upset. And it was like, not just being emotionally confused, but being like having so many racing thoughts all the time that it was, it was actually like actual confusion Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, And at 18, when I uh, tried to take my own life, Mm. Uh, it was a, it was a wake up call. It was time. You know what I mean? To start, to start getting, to start getting answers. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Some of the listeners may be familiar with a bipolar diagnosis, and we know that there's bipolar one, bipolar two, and we don't need to necessarily get into the nitty gritty of the diagnosis, but what was it that you were experiencing that led the doctor to give you that diagnosis? My my highs and my lows were starting to get more extreme. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, it was, I, I call it the ancillary things, the confusion, mm-hmm. the restlessness, the, um, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff that you could see. It wasn't just the emotional impact of it. It was actually presenting in physical ways. It was pre- presenting in ways that were impeding the everyday life. It wasn't just situational things that my my emotional intelligence was off it was like physical manifestation of Mm -hmm. these different issues and problems and things like that okay so for for people who don't know a whole lot about the diagnosis bipolar comes with either a mania or a hypomania which is kind of a, a dialed down version of mania and then there's a depressive state and for a lot of people, depression is the primary state. And then the, the mania can be more episodic, but, and whether you have mania or hypomania, that's going to determine bipolar one, bi- bipolar two, those sort of things. I don't think that a lot of people really know what it looks like when someone is manic. Do you mind telling us about that? Yeah. So I am, I've always been very much a, a logically driven person. Mm-hmm. If it it just this this makes sense, you know what I mean? Like it almost like a common sense sort of thing. And so I could look at patterns and see that how I'm feeling does not make sense to the situation. Mm. And that happening once, that happening twice, three times, whatever. But when it's happening on a regular basis and becoming more frequent, yeah, that that starts to catch your attention. I used to talk about how I would walk around with the beast, I would call it, this thing that was made up of every bit of hate, every bit of anger that I've ever felt, every bit of sadness. And and that was what was controlling my life. That was the place that I that I lived out of. And then within the same kind of period of time, I could go from very angry to almost giddy, I guess is a good way of a good way of putting it. straight to i want to kill myself okay you know so just like the emotional expression was just all over the place yeah seemed to match up with the circumstances and that's that's something that you raised a good point by differentiating between the two different types well the two main types i should say of mania Mm -hmm. the one thing about mania and why it's why it's so hard to pin down a lot of the time is because it does manifest differently for different people. For me, I was a classic case of extremes. Mm. And at this point in my life, I've gotten to the point where my, my swings are far less extreme, but just because they're not super extreme, the biggest thing that I can, that, that I try to convey to people when it comes to trying to recognize this is to look at the pattern. Don't pay attention to the extremity. If the extremity is severe, that's its own thing. Pay attention to that. But if it's not, and you're still looking at a definable pattern of emotional swing to a point where it's not just 
oh, today I'm in a bad mood or today I'm really happy, but like you, you're, you're noticing way more fluidity to mm -hmm. your mood in that kind of way, then start to ask questions, start to keep a journal if you, uh, if you want to of, of, okay, so this is how I'm feeling at this particular time. Uh, you know what I mean? And all of that kind of stuff. To log your moods and your behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know for some people that I have met with during their mania, it might not happen. Like what some of what you're describing is kind of that rapid cycling, the mood volatility, and, and that is its own di diagnosis as well. Some people are just depressed most of the time. And then something happens and they lose sleep for a couple of nights and they go manic and then they're happy and productive and creative and energetic and it feels really good. And you think, oh, good, they've come out of their depression. But then what you don't realize is that they haven't slept in days. They're having sex with people they wouldn't normally have sex with. They're spending money they wouldn't normally spend. Like all of these things are, are happening and the behaviors are becoming more risky. And if you've been through it before, you know that that's leading up to a crash and the, the crash is going to be that I want to kill myself. There's no point in me living and the depression comes back and then, then it's sleeping around the clock. And, and that's, what's really so hard to deal with is not, not that you had this really happy time or a sad time, but that there's no consistency and it's exhausting, not only to the person who lives in that skin, but also to the people that love them. Yeah. That's, and that's a very good point that when you get diagnosed, the people around you also feel that, mm -hmm. also experience that. And, and that's just a truth that there's a level of patience that's needed for the people that surround somebody that has a diagnosis. Yeah. That is in incredible. You know, not everybody's going to feel that. Not everybody's going to understand that. Mm -hmm. And not everybody is supposed to walk life with you. Some people are only supposed to be there for a season. And yeah. that's difficult, but it's true. And and you're right. It is incredibly exhausting because you have these situations and these time periods where you are doing things that it's almost like you are a passenger in your own body in certain regards because you know that this erratic behavior is wrong. You know chasing this high whatever whatever it is to fill that space or to satiate whatever that that is wrong and that is bad but the compulsion is there the that's that's reality especially if you're going through the paces and you don't have any other anchor point mm. you know what i mean like if you don't have a relationship with god if you don't have a solid family system or a solid support system or things like that, it is very difficult to try and find something that anchors you in the midst of going all over the place and all of that kind of stuff. That's part of why I am such an advocate for therapy. And therapy can look a lot of different ways it, it doesn't, it's not one size fits all. And the reality is, is that for every one really, really solid therapist that's out there, there's a dozen or more that have got their degree from a Cracker Jack box. <laughs> my, my wife and I both can tell you horror stories of some of the experiences that we've had 
at going to going to therapists and and for most people who have gone down that road have a horror story to tell mm-hmm. however once you find somebody who is trained be specific who is trained to handle being able to talk through these things and to be able to work through these things talking to your best friend is good but that can become dangerous if you if the person isn't prepared to be able to talk somebody through what's going on or at least be like to be able to relate or whatever or even know. keep you safe yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you know it, it's it's important to have something because the trap becomes thinking that you can do it by yourself by your own strength mm-hmm. and i fell into that trap for the longest time because i'm like you know what i'm not going to let a diagnosis to find me. And I'm also not going to take meds that are going to make me feel like a zombie. Mm-hmm. And so I went unmedicated for quite a long time and fine to go unmedicated if you can, as long as there's something. Okay. If you just think that you're going to pray it away, mm-hmm. be po- choose joy, be pos- be more positive, all of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm you're you're playing in very very dangerous waters yeah because that can go sideways really really quickly and so having something there talking to somebody having some kind of anchor point whatever mm-hmm. is really really a necessity especially if you're getting into more severe forms yeah. of this diagnosis yeah. You know, one of the phenomenon that we see with people diagnosed with bipolar is because there's that variation in how you feel, um, sometimes you'll be doing good and you'll think, oh, I'm good now. I can do this without my meds, without my therapist, without these supports and anchors. Then what happens is if people go off their meds and they really do need to be on meds or they really do need intensive therapy, and then the cycle starts over again, you get into a dangerous spot again. So do you, any opinions or thoughts on Christians and meds? And I know that that can be a big issue. Yeah. So I, I want to, I'll answer your, I'll answer your second question first. And then I do want to double back to cycling. Yeah. I, I get it. It's very taboo, especially the more religious <laughs> that you, that the crowd is that's around you. And, and I don't want to, my non-denominational is very much going to show when okay. I say this, it's not so much about targeting a specific denomination or group because people like this exist in just about everyone. Sure, I know people are gonna gonna hear me and hear the influence that I have in in the Baptist faith and understand that yes, some of this is influenced by this, but this is not just a hit piece. What I'm about okay. to say on on okay. the Baptist church, it is a difficult road to go down when you just just getting diagnosed. But when you incorporate in the Christian part of it, it can the the waters get muddy very very quick and people think that if you are are partaking in some kind of medication if you are partaking in some kind of therapy if you are acknowledging a diagnosis then you are not fully living out of the power and presence of god right dallas willard defines the kingdom of god as living in the power and presence of god you know i was a dallas willard fan (laughs) (laughs) that's fantastic Bonus points for you. Keep going. (laughs) 
and, and so when you look at something like Matthew 5 through 7, the Beatitudes, yes. um, it, it talks about this whole list of things. And a lot of times that gets turned into a moral checklist. I need to be this and I need to be this and I need to be this. But what what a lot of people miss is that no, by but what what the Bible's saying there is by engaging with God, by living in communion with God, these things are byproducts of that. These things are are come as a result of that. That is the kingdom. That is every single day living in active friendship and relationship with God. And when we realize that that is the kingdom, yes, part of the kingdom is to come heaven, all of that. But Jesus was very specific in using present tense language when referring to the kingdom of God. So I say all of that to say that we serve a God who I call it the God, I call him the God of gray area. Mm. He realizes that that life, our lives as humans, is full of gray area. It is not black and white. It is not one size fits all. And you do not pray a diagnosis away. Yeah. He understands that we are a fallen people in a fallen world. This isn't going to give anybody warm and fuzzies, but take a look at some of the science that, that, that's been done since I think the earliest that I've seen is 1975 was when, was when a lot of these major studies happened, where you can see a steady decline in the, the chemical health of the human brain. Mm. That makes sense when you consider that we live in a fallen world and things are not how they were supposed to be, and that is going to have an impact over time on the human form. When you look at the way that Jesus interacted with the world, he came for the sick. He came for the people who realize outside of him, I've got nothing. Yeah. I'm brought back to this conversation that I had recently when I went out to Michigan to do a live event. And this, this woman and her daughter come up to the table and we're having a conversation and they both admitted to the fact that they, that they have bipolar. And our whole thing was, you know, ask us anything, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And she asks us, okay, why did God do this to us? Mm -hmm. And that's a position that a lot of Christians with mental health issues have been pushed into yeah. by thinking that God punished them by having this this diagnosis by having these issues and things like that the reality when you look at the realities and the horror stories of life right this this life in a lot of respects can really be a horror show yep that's that thing that we have as christians that 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 makes us just a little bit different right i used to think that that was hot garbage like when when i would hear christian just just live out your light just be different yeah, that sounds good on a Sunday morning, but what is that in real life? Mm -hmm. That is, as Christians, us being able to see past the diagnosis, past all of these things to a hope that mm -hmm. transcends all. That thing that's different is the sound of victory blaring from deep down in your spirit. Yeah. And that sounds flowery, especially when you're in the throes of the moment in the throes of passion of, of your brain is, is applesauce and you don't know which way is up, how can you still look at this hope? You can look at this hope because there's something past the, this, this carbon-based life form that we inhabit here and now.
And I bring this up to say that hope does not guarantee us safe passage in this life. It just doesn't. You look at the pillars of the early church, right? These men died for their faith. Mm -hmm. They died alone, in jail, martyred for their faith. And Jesus himself said, this is, this is not going to be an easy life, especially as a Christian. And so, you know, I, I believe in a God that is capable of anything. I've been a part of the prayer services where a woman who, who had cancer was prayed over by a church and the cancer went into remission. I have seen crazy stuff happen at the hands of God. But I've also seen the healing not come. I've seen people need to gut this thing out mm-hmm. from from now until the the next step. Yeah. That's that's reality. Mm-hmm. And so that God that's that's capable of anything is also a God who gave us science. Yeah. Who gave us the ability to be able to figure these things out and figure out, hey, what's going on? You know what I mean? If you look at even back to, what, 30 years ago, that people were still getting chisels to the head for, quote unquote, hysteria. And, and you look at how, how far things have come. It, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing when you realize the blessing of having those things available. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that gets distorted to mm-hmm. it's just about your attitude. It's just about you're just not praying enough. You just don't you don't believe enough to break the fourth wall just a little bit. If you're listening and you have heard somebody in your life say that first off, I am so sorry. Yeah. My my prayers are, are with you. Please understand that. Mm-hmm. But also understand that you are not a monster for taking medication. You are not damned for going to therapy. A lot of people, there are tons of ways to Jesus, one way to the Father. And some people find Jesus on their therapist's couch. Oh, yeah. That's okay. <laughs> you know, that's, there's legitimacy. All, that's what makes the hope so special. It's not because we rub the lamp and ask the genie to grant us perfect health and all of those kinds of things. It's that despite what we, experience here and now in this world that we have a hope that has defeated all of this that one day we will have perfect bodies one day we will be in the presence of the king yeah there will be no more hurt there will be no more pain anything like that and you can put your faith there you can count on that and if if you are listening and have a hard time trying to find an anchor point on that in all of this, let me tell you from personal experience, it's hard sometimes when you go through all of this to find something like faith. Faith is is something that's really hard to come by for people who have been beat up by life. Yep. But that's why the Bible says that we only need the faith, faith the size of a mustard seed. We don't need much because mm-hmm. God knows that we're humans and we are going to doubt. You look at John the Baptist, some of the last things that we hear that we hear from John the Baptist are, wait, wait, G- Jesus, you, you are the right guy, right? We've got the right person, right? And Jesus didn't flip out. Jesus didn't, you know, oh, you're, you're done. You're no, longer, you're no longer going to heaven. Like, nope, explain to him, yes, you do have the right person, all of that. In, in a world of uncertainty where 
it's very hard to find something that you can count on. That is 100% something that you can count on. Yeah. I like to tell people, uh, you know, I do a lot of cognitive behavior therapy and, and sometimes when you're trying to look at your thoughts and have that metacognition on your thoughts, are my thoughts helping me or not? Mm -hmm. And you need to believe something different. You only need to believe it differently one or 2% because that little tiny crack of light creates that wedge that your brain can use and God can use to create a new mindset to transform your mind, right? But I want to highlight a couple of things you said. I, I like that you expressed your sincere apology to people who have felt like uh, maybe their loved ones or even the church didn't get it, that they were told to pray it away you know, that there wasn't a place. I think I even would like to apologize on behalf of pastors and church leaders who have made people feel that way, because that creates an environment in our churches where people that really do need help don't feel the freedom to go after it or the support or the empowerment to get it. I think as Christians and as leaders, we have to be really careful to encourage people to get the help that they need. And I mean, imagine where you would have been if you had thought in those moments that I, I'm not going to be a good Christian if I go after this diagnosis or if I get this therapy or these meds. And that is furthest thing from the truth. I even think about last uh, couple episodes ago, we talked about TMS, that's the transcranial magnetic stimulation. And there's you know, Christians in the past could think, well, that's voodoo. <laughs> you know, you're sending zaps into your brain. Like what, why would a Christian do that? But no, it's science and it works. And, and then coming up this fall on the podcast, we're going to be talking through EMDR and some of the treatments that are available for trauma through that. And again, Christians are thinking, I don't know, that sounds a little bit like um, hypnosis. I don't know if Christians should do that. And then I'm going to explain, no, this is science as well. And science and faith are not exclusive of each other. And we use what God has given us to be able to heal. God wants healing. Right. That's something that I used to think. And that was one thing that one of the many things that kept me from actually, you know, I, I, I for a long time, um, did the character. I, I, every, everybody thought that I was this nice Bible believing Christian, but it was one of those things that, you know, done with church, uh, at 11 high by one. And it was very much like that, but I was in such a place that I knew that the Christians were the one, were the one group of people that couldn't kick me out. They were supposed to take everybody. <laughs> and so I, I, you know, but I, I still hid it from, from them because it was still very much, this stigma of of these these different things being mutually exclusive and uh, one of the biggest things that kept me away from from diving in is is i i looked at the christians as a bunch of people that refused to look at things like science because they wanted to have their blind faith when i got saved i i liken it to a flag was put in the ground but what put the cement around the flag was a season of apologetics Mm. This this Bible that I'm reading makes a lot of really serious claims. Yeah. What can I do to verify these claims? And so I said, I, I 
sought out on you know doing things like finding logical proof behind the resurrection behind some of the old testament stuff and there's there's plenty of it without going into the going into the weeds as far as all of that goes there's tons of science that backs this stuff up as as we continue our faith journey to remember that looking looking to things like science or medicine is not of of the devil you know what i mean i know i know that's a big thing right now is if you get the shot you're gonna you're you're going to hell if you you know go to therapy you're going to hell all these kinds of things that is a relationship that i see thankfully starting to some of the the younger generation starting to take the flag for no this is this is we live in the information age and information is freely gotten now it's not it is not nearly as guarded as it once was or situational as it once was you can go to you can go to youtube and learn how to become a neurosurgeon if you want um please don't (laughs) but you so so you're i think that's starting to result in a shift starting to take place that just because you're religious tradition says that medicine is bad does not mean that medicine is bad does not mean that professionals who have a the temperament and b the training Mm -hmm. to walk you through these things and to keep you safe why can't that be a gift from god why does that have to be opposed from God. And yes, I can go down the whole the whole road. And I actually, at this point in my life, would tell you that if you're a Christian, try to find a Christian counselor. You know, it, it, I, I understand that that's a little bit oxymoronic because because of everything that we're saying as far as, you know, how volatile the, the Christian opinion can be to things like that. But if you find a Christian therapist, more often than not, you're going to find somebody who at least gets that these things are still available for saint and sinner. Yeah. And you know what, Joe, that's the whole reason that I'm here. I mean, I offer a course where I teach therapists how to integrate their faith appropriately, ethically. I'm not saying that I never hurt somebody in therapy. I've probably said stupid stuff. I've probably, you know, been one of those crackerjack therapists at one point or another, but I would say my, my percentage of times when, when I really am trying to be excellent and, and I have achieved some percentage of that, you know, I want to help other therapists who also love Jesus to be able to offer these things for Christian people. I do 100% agree with you that if you are a Christian and you have the opportunity to see a Christian therapist do that versus Mm -hmm. seeing someone who doesn't know God in the way that you do, because the spirituality, your soul, that's like at the deepest part of your being and your identity. And if that part is left out or mistreated in therapy, then you're not going to get the whole healing that God wants you to have. And so I, I really believe there in what you're saying. And I do hope that there are more Christian therapists that are trained with excellence at integrating those things. And and it's a hard thing, right? Because you you look at something like that and you're talking about a human helping a human. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is at some point along the way, it's gonna get flawed. It's going to the the system is going to break down at some point because humans are fallible creatures. It's a hard position to be in as a therapist who is trying to help other people and all of those kinds of things. It's it's unenviable in a lot of in a lot of respects. But there is something to be said for 
what is your intention? Where is your heart positioned? Are you just trying to churn people out through your office and just trying to collect as much money as you possibly can and giving the same wash, rinse, repeat sort of information to everybody? Or are you actually trying to help? doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. And it's the same deal with seeking out help. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have bad days. Yeah. Understand that those bad days, they don't mean that you, that day you're less than what you were the day before, if the day before it was better. It's just the name of the game, unfortunately. That's, that's why there's two parts of this conversation. There's the non-warm and fuzzy part. It's the part that, it's a part that this is the reality of the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. This world is a broken place. But that's the other part of it that when you fully immerse yourself and realize, okay, this thing that I've got, this relationship that I've got means that I can look past this in a lot of regard. Yeah. I want to ask you, and this is going back more to your experience with bipolar. Sometimes the diagnosis or the experience of that diagnosis can, like we said, make you do things that are not part of who you really feel like you are, or you wouldn't even agree morally or, or ethically, or even financially or whatever it is you would do things. Have you ever experienced during mania or depression doing something that when you came out of it, you felt guilty for, you felt oh, like yeah. thin. Yeah, and then how, how did God meet you in that? A lot of that is wrapped up in the idea of identity. What do you, how do you identify what is your identity? And you can very easily get wrapped up in the identity of, oh, I'm just going to keep failing at this. I'm just going to keep screwing up and I'm going to keep doing, getting this wrong. And I might have a good period of time, but ultimately I'm still going to just screw up again. And it, it's, it's a self-defeating perpetual cycle. For me, a big part of God giving me the tools to be aware of that, mm. because you never ultimately beat it. Yeah. I, I mean, you can in some, I'm sure to every rule, there is an exception, but a vast majority of people will never beat this kind of diagnosis. But part of getting, getting those tools is understanding that, okay, yes, you do have something with you that says, you know, it's it's kind of like a drug in certain regards, right? If for, for anybody who's ever smoked or drank or anything like that, like highly addictive things, you will in that moment give anything to get that fix of whatever it is. And even if that means spending money that you shouldn't be spending or doing things that are stupid and dangerous and all of those kinds of things. And so in that moment, you so want to just feel that, that sense of something that feel that void. A lot of times that gets, that gets referred to as chasing the high. And that doesn't just mean a substance high that, that high can come in a lot of different ways, but it's understanding that this is not, this life is not an all or nothing sort of proposition. It is not that you're never going to screw up just because you're a Christian or you're never going to have a bad day just because you're a Christian or you're never going to have illness or experience pain or tragedy just because you're a Christian. It's recognizing that though the temptation when we have those moments is to either hide like Adam and Eve did or come with our big, long speech, all, all prepared to go like the prodigal son did. Mm -hmm. where, you know, you just, you know, I, I understand that I did this, that, and the other thing wrong. And you feel like you need to, 
repent. That's one thing. God is not interested in this long drawn out speech. It's not, you're not getting paid per word <laughs> when you, when you come to this, these reconciliation points, it's coming in earnest yeah. that, okay, this is, this is something that, that I did work, work with me here. But while most people don't have a burning bush moment, the more times that we come forward and say, Hey, okay, I messed up. Work with me here. Mm -hmm. Make, make me sensitive to these things. Yeah. Aren't the, even on the good days, still being purposeful in the things that you're doing in the established, the, the, the relationship that you're establishing, all of those kinds of things, you know, think, think about it like this. You have your best friend, right? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your best friend, whatever. You have this person that you know them, they know you. You can finish each other's sentences. You just, you know each other. That takes time. To understand each other on that level takes time served with one another, walking life together. Mm. It's the same thing with God. Yeah. You know, God, talking to God is not all about hitting the right emergency button and, you know, suddenly you're going to be able to hear everything that God wants you to hear and see everything that God wants you to see. It's, it's coming to him in, in conversation, not just talking, but giving time to hear as well. Yeah. It's a conversation, not a monologue. Yeah. Back and forth. So, exactly. So I understand that for a lot of these things, they're just adjacent to a lot of the bad things that people have heard from the church. Mm -hmm. A lot of that can sound like, oh, so you're just telling me pray it all away and it'll be okay. No, just because you prayed doesn't mean that it's automatically going to change the situation right then and there at the drop of a dime. The thing about, about these religious traditions that are so dangerous is they are truth adjacent. Mm -hmm. They take the truth and they just change the orientation just enough to make it no longer about God, yeah. just man-made stuff with nice God painting over top of it. Jesus had the big problem with the Pharisees because they were highlighting those types of man-made rules over the relationship with God. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so that's, that's the, that's the biggest thing that's come out of to, to, to go back to your question in those moments of compulsion of acting out. Yeah. I've had to spend years of my life trying to reestablish relationships, trying to, I guess, make things right is is a good way of putting it. that's just a reality on the other side of doing that without an anchor point mm -hmm. and now in this stage of my life doing this with an anchor point mm -hmm. it is oxygen to somebody drowning yeah when you can just turn to god and it's it can look messy friends it can look messy that's a thing like this is not a god that's going to get offended because you may say a couple of four-letter words to god right or, or yell or scream or whatever. He's not going to disown you mm -hmm. just because you got upset with him. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, there is a bridge too far where those, those feelings lead to sinful actions. Yeah. But God's got big shoulders. He can handle it. Yeah. When you have these moments, engaging with God is the number one thing that you can do. And that's more than just praying a five second prayer and, and hoping for the best. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, God, remind me who I am. Remind me who you see me as, what you have for me. Because the thing about God's identity for us, it is way different than the identity that we have for ourselves, mm -hmm. especially if you're somebody who struggles with how you see yourself or, or how you interact with the world. Which most of us do. Diagnosis yeah. not. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's not, that doesn't take a diagnosis to, to be there. You have all manner of people that don't like what they see in the mirror to don't have the ability to be able to interact with, with people in the world properly, you know? So Joe, before we wrap up, I always ask my guests, what is something that you're doing for soul care at this time? I am spending time in the areas of the Bible that speak to identity because the Bible is very specific about it. You have to, you have to look for it, but it's very specific where you find it. Mm. I also take it in during the time that I do that. I listen, but I'm, I'm out and walking and out in the environment and things like that. For me, being out and seeing God's creation gives me peace because you see, it doesn't matter if you're in the city or in the country, you see intricate ecosystems of things that rely on each other, that if you take something out of that, the whole system falls apart. Mm-hmm. So you realize that that this is a God that can handle orchestrating all of this. If he can handle orchestrating all of this, then he can handle dealing with me. Yep. That's the thing, right? Is is understanding it's one thing for us to have love for God, to have reverence of God, to have fear of God. That is one thing. But it turns that whole thing on its head when you realize that the God that you love and serve also loves you and yeah. also has active desire for a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. And he wants everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. Great. Thank you. So Joe, if someone wants to hear more from you and receive some encouragement from you, where can they find you? You can check it, check out the show at buddywalkwithjesus.com. We also do a, an offshoot called kingdom on the road that you can find on most, most podcast platforms that gives an opportunity for Christians to tell their story. If you are in need of prayer of some of, of a group of people that will just come alongside you without without judging or anything, shoot me an email at prayer at buddywalkwithjesus.com because we really fundamentally believe that this world needs to be bathed in prayer. And that prayer is not just something to happen at a dinner table. And so that's something that we feel passionately about. Right. Well, I really appreciate you sharing with the vulnerability that you had today and uh, walking us through what's that that's looked like over your lifetime and, and just encouraging us with the word of God and your heart for people who are hurting. Thank you for being here. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks. The Soul Grit Podcast is a production of Soul Grit Resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at Soulgrit Resources. You can email me at info at soulgritresources.com.